Hi, I'm Henrietta Ricks. And I'm Orla McCluskey, and we are the founders of Rixo. We started Rixo over five years ago from our university living room, and it's been such a journey since. With no outside funding or investment, we've made every decision together and still control 100% of the business. This has allowed us to keep the brand to its core values, and we've had some serious highs, lows, and a lot of laughs along the way. We decided to start the podcast so that we could take you behind the scenes and share the more intimate moments that you don't see on Instagram or read about in the press. We hope the podcast will inspire any budding entrepreneurs out there to take a first step, keep going and never look back. This podcast is sponsored by Space NK. Space NK is the go-to destination for worldwide beauty discovery, creating the world's most in-demand brands like Charlotte Tilbury, Drunk Elephant and NARS with the icons of the future. Whether you visit Space NK online or in-store, their beauty advisors are devoted to offering well-informed, unbiased beauty advice and product recommendations tailored to each and every customer. Welcome to our first episode on Female Pioneers. In this episode, we touch on life as female founders and pioneers. From starting Rixo in our university flat, us as best friends, how we balanced our roles and our approach to being women in business. On this episode, we're really excited to introduce both Margaret Mitchell, the Chief Merchandising Officer, and Emma Simpson-Scott, the Chief Marketing Officer of Space NK. For anyone that's listening to the podcast, Layla is going to be um, interviewing both Ola and I for this as we chat along. And Layla is part of our community and in the Rixo team. I've somehow been ripped into this, but I think it's going to be really fun. <laughs> it seems really weird that you're interviewing this. <laughs> but it'll be good. At least it's someone we know. Welcome to episode one. Hello. <laughs> Can't believe we're doing it. How exciting that we're starting a Rixo podcast. Yes, yeah, I, I think it's something that we probably find a lot easier than like the new interviews and stuff. So hopefully we can spill a lot more and once we start talking about Rixo as well we never shut up so it's probably podcaster made for us so we're excited to share everything oh I'm really excited to get talking to you I think it would make sense if we start off right from the beginning and I know that people say you know you start in your living room but you literally did start Rixo from your living room so what's your earliest memory of turning the flat into Rixo HQ so we were renting and our landlord was brilliant actually so first of all we'd work mostly in the kitchen then we asked him to get rid of the kitchen table then once we'd outgrown the kitchen, we then moved into well, the, the living room. Went. So the sofas went, the the coffee table went. And our landlord, credit to him, was brilliant. He'd come and like every month we'd be like, oh, can you just take away the coffee table? Can you take away the sofa? So it pretty much became a massive stock we li- room. We literally went to like Ikea every other week. We had all these like Ikea like stack and Calyx boxes and that was what we put all the stock in. And then we bought this like white table with like orange legs. It was right in the middle of like the living room. So if somebody wanted to watch the TV, they couldn't because there was a table right in the middle of the room. So that was like breakfast table, dinner table. Yeah, that was was, like where it all happened. All the interns that were helping us like would always come around, sit around the table. It was like press came. We had all the buyers come. It was genuinely like the most used table, but probably not the best one to have for your first first office but we made it work it wasn't just the start we probably stayed there and for like the first what was it two and a half years or something it was yeah like we made it we really made it last like we were not going to get an office until we were physically spilling out of the house and it was only to the stage where all lost her bedroom and moved in with Gemma her twin sister upstairs because there was too much stock in the house um that we then realized okay this is it's not livable anymore we need to we need to make a change 
When did you decide that Rixo was more than the living room brand that you, that you needed to expand? We'd kind of proven that we had longevity in the brand. We'd built up like really good wholesalers. We had the product was selling really well on the website. And I think we had like a lot of ambition and we I think we thought well, we've got to make the move to an office, but we didn't really approach it either in like a real traditional office way. I think we found the office like not through an agent and I think it actually used to be someone's like apartment. So <laughs> I think that appealed to us it was a little bit different. Yeah, so the first office that we actually moved into, I don't even know if you could call it an office. I mean, it was the size of a postage stamp and it had a spiral staircase, so it had a, a second level as well. So in that way, it was good, but it literally was. It was just attached to an, a local estate agent, so they were willing to let it go for really cheap rent. Um, and we just jumped at the opportunity to have that space. I mean, we were working on Rixo 24-7 anyway, so we pretty much then lived into that office but it was it was really important I think at that time to have that separation between actually even just like walking home and then being in the office but I mean we had our first couple of employees like we had three three employees I think working from the living room so we had Clemmy who was amazing who used the kitchen as like that was her space she, pack station. she did all the online orders then we had Katie in wholesale um who was helping us as well and she'd work from like we had got an Ikea desk for her facing outside to the window in the living room and then we had <laughs> she used to spot all the customers she'd be like there's oh, she's like there's someone approaching the house yeah. like, she, she was like the she was like the guard she'd like just sit and look out the window and like spot people coming it was probably very covid because we'd all just sit there in like literally our gym leggings or sometimes pajamas and we'd all just like we were just making it work and then we'd transform it it was so funny when the girls would come in they'd be like oh it looks all nice today and we'd be like yeah this afternoon we've got buyers or press coming so we just made it work didn't we how did you hold meetings at your flat one of us would work upstairs and one would work downstairs and have the meeting because we just had so much to get through but I was actually dog sitting at one point, um, just earning a little bit of money on the side, and I had this retriever puppy that was it called, was on it was on Apple our neighbor's <laughs> dog, um, and then yeah, so on they dog. they were on a vacation for a week, so Apple moved in to the crazy Rexel household, but because it was a puppy, it didn't really have like it wasn't trained yet, and I remember the time. I was downstairs with a buyer and then they kept on saying to me, do you have a dog? Because I could hear something. And I was like, no. And she was like, oh, I didn't think you did, but I can hear something. And I was like, oh no, brush past it. Apple was desperate to get out. Like she just take out a notion that like, she had to get out of the room and like there was like no stopping her. And so Ola let Apple come flying down into the living room and then I literally looked like the biggest liar and then I was like, oh, I'm trying to cover it up. But it was a funny week. Um, yeah. yeah it would be great to have some honest advice about starting a business with your best friend. So I'm going to ask you honestly, how is starting a business with your best friend? I think you've got to do it with someone who balances each other right so I don't even think it's like but no matter if it was your friend your best friend whatever it's I think it's just like finding someone that you work well together like sometimes it's a husband and wife duo or whatever it is but I mean both Laura and I have our own like personal friends from growing up and there's loads of them that I'd be like there's no way I could set a business with like they're great friends but you can't set a business Sorry up with them any of them listening <laughs> but I do just think there's different qualities in friends and there's some it's also like I think everyone's got friends they know they can live with or they can't live with so it's just a little bit of a gut feeling and a personal judgment where you just think do you know what I completely trust this person all and I don't have egos we've both just got Rixo's best interest in heart and I think we both said at the very start like we do anything to make this work. And I think the fact that both of us were in a very similar position when we set it off, like we didn't have boyfriends, we didn't have mortgages, we didn't have kids. So I think we were both just kind of the same wavelength, weren't we? What are the highlights and lowlights, if there are any? 
Highlights are definitely just even moments when you look back and you just think, like, I know, like, our mums would both be like, whenever they're together or whenever they're talking to us, they're like, God, I'm so proud of you. And my dad still at the end of the day is like, how's Ola every day? And I'm like, Ola's fine. It's as if, like, they've grown an extra daughter as well. So I think it's really nice that I think one of the biggest things that I take away from Rixo is that obviously it's been, like, a massive struggle for us to grow the brand to where it is today. But the fact that Ola and I are still just such great friends and that mm-hmm. we do anything for each other, to me, just is just so important. Henrietta's became like a best friend to one of my twin, my, not one of my twin sisters, but my twin sister. Um, and she actually was our fit model. So we used to put all, we used yeah. to pin all the clothes on Gemma. <laughs> Poor Gemma gem. got roped, she got roped into, into absolutely everything. <laughs> and we, me and Henry used to never go out. So we would send Gemma out to spread the word. So she'd be in the toilets, like drunk, chatting away to every woman that came in. Like, do you hear about this brand? And like, Handing out lookbooks, giving out business we only cards. Got, we only it's got like she was on commission. <laughs> when we first did our first lookbook, we obviously did it on a shoestring, and then we'd only, we only, I think we had like fifty printed, and we were keeping them for buyers, and we were like really careful, and we were like, right, Gemma, you can have five to go and like take into work, or if you're going on a night out. So she literally used to go out with our lookbooks and a handbag, and at a bar, if she thought someone was like a Rixo customer. Oh, she'd be dishing it out and everything. So, <laughs> I mean, we just did pretty much anything at the start, and it was so nice that. I think we had Gemma around us and our other flatmate around us that we're really just championing, championing Rick. So you know that's one thing I can say. Like we obviously like took over the house, and we never once, like even the four of us, like had really any kind of like grievances about it. But really, someone else could have been like, "You two are like, you know, running a business here. <laughs> we don't have a living room anymore." But I think it was nice because I think like we were all really close and just kind of got on with it, and it just never really seemed like there was an issue you know it's just nice that like I think like you've got to kind of surround yourself with people that just like are happy just make things work I think you've touched on it like a couple of times there but is there anything that you felt like you forfeited from starting a business that other people you know your age were able to do that you weren't able to do like obviously (laughs) like there's definite like like you'd see like all our friends going out the whole time socialising I mean for the first two years we probably didn't drink a drop of alcohol like we weren't going out or anything and we were just like in the house 24-7 like we didn't have weekends we didn't have evenings we probably didn't see our family much but I wouldn't change that for the world because there were experiences that we were getting through Rixo where we were either travelling to Paris or going to vintage fairs and like just building the brand like you Mm. you wouldn't change that for the world but obviously I think if you're not 100% passionate about it, then there are things that you would start to be like, oh God, Rixo's not letting me have a life. But we almost purposely like kept ourselves from like missing out on things so it wasn't hard. Like I think if I, we were to start Rixo today with like our partners and stuff, it'd be a lot harder. Whereas I think we kind of kept ourselves a bit distant from it. So it was just, it was so easy to just be so focused on something. When I think back, like my mum came over for a weekend and I remember not even seeing her. Like I think I said hi and then was like, oh, I've got to work and I've not seen her in like six months. So there was things like that that I think now when I look back on it, I think we, we really did give up a lot. Um, my sister used to, obviously because I'm a twin, she would go out on her birthday and everyone go out for my birthday but I wouldn't actually be there. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's your birthday but we're out celebrating it and you're not actually there. Like that happened like so many times but like I said, like it's one of those things I don't think we change and it was like you had one of your best friends with you anyway going through it so it was actually really funny in our first like six months we were just like working all the time and like we would decided at nighttime right we're gonna take a break and like turn off we watched this like series called love hate it was like an irish and we this was like literally like our like guilty pleasure pleasure. (laughs) we just watched like oh this life's just great we just got an episode of like love hate we sound like right (laughs) saddles no i think it's just a testament to like how a business does start out 
And, you know, it's not just luck or it's not just, oh, let's sit and draw some ideas. You know, you gave up so much, so many different elements to be where you are today. I remember um, my sister's boyfriend, she started going with him and I remember him saying like, I'd hate to have your sister's life. (laughs) I think to outsiders, they were probably like, how the hell are you two girls doing this? They probably did think like, this is not natural. You can't keep it up. But the fact that we had each other going through it, like in the daytimes, we'd go to meetings or different things. And we would have like, literally our stomachs would be killing from laughing or coming out of a meeting or different things. So it's going through those highs and lows. The fact that we had each other, I think we're really lucky. Being best friends and dividing the roles is obviously a question that I'm sure people have and becoming the female pioneers that you are. How do you decide who was going to do what role from the beginning and how has that played out? I think it happened quite naturally, really, didn't it? Like all the structured people. (laughs) We're not structured people and we didn't really have like a plan in place. Like all the started to learn Photoshop and then naturally took over the whole print design and is so passionate about fit. And then I'd always like run the Instagram posted everything on Instagram even to this day and um, so it kind of naturally we kind of fell into our little kind of like buckets of where we are today but I think still the most important thing I think is that we come together on like the strategy of Rixo what we really believe in like the big hard-hitting things about where we want to go in the future what do the next two years look like for Rixo that is only Ola and I that can come together and be like this is what we truly believe in this is what we want to do so I think the fact that we still lead on the strategy together it's not as if okay all is in design, but she doesn't know anything that's going on with the business or vice versa, that I'm going off and doing whatever I'm doing and then all is not involved. So I think we still have a good kind of relationship. Yeah. There's definitely more to your brand than like just like product. There's like so many elements of her job now that I just didn't even know existed. Um, and it, it does... It does keep the brand's DNA. Like there's so many little elements you've got to think about and strategize about that's not really even like at the forefront of your mind on like day one of like starting a brand. Obviously you've mentioned that the elements that you didn't even know existed of the brand in terms of job roles. I think it'd be really interesting for the listeners to know what elements of the business that you both look after individually. So I'd say key things, probably my responsibilities are like Instagram, what I've done just for day to day. But even when it comes to signing off all the graphics, so every single email, like I will sign off that's going out to our database. Um, also, when it comes to photo shoots and the mood boards behind those, signing off the models, picking photographers, like everything that's a vision or creative comes from either one of us when it comes to obviously our pop-up shops as well and negotiating leases on those and where we're going to have them. And that strategy is something that I've it's just fallen into my hands. I kind of oversee like print, like product fit, kind of design, just anything kind of product related, um, trying to grow a new category. So thinking about the things in the future with product. We've obviously got such a strong team made up of men and women. How do you feel about having such powerful people in the team, especially some great female leaders? I think we actually, we love that. Like because me and Henrietta are still quite young and we're like leading the business, like we need people to challenge us as well. We're not trying to be right. We actually would prefer a challenge um, in like a real constructive way. So we'd actually encourage more feedback and like more pushback um, so that like collaboratively the team actually has a better outcome. I think that's one of the things we're probably most proud of. Like whenever we're in interviews or we're talking about it, like Rixa would be nothing without the team. And we've got such a strong team and it's both males and females. But if we're particularly talking about females, there are just so many great girls that are so passionate. And it's so nice to see, like kind of give someone a bit of a vision of where to go. And then to see the girls within the team just act, just go for it and be really passionate. And to see the team actually care, like you can see the, they genuinely care about Rixo and they're so excited about new product or the direction we're going in. So it's such an exciting environment to be in. I think especially as well, like everything used to be in both of me and Henrietta's heads and we've had to learn to like tell people what we're 
thinking in her head and like where we're actually going with something when I think about the team like I genuinely would want to go and have a drink with everyone or like be friends with them outside of work and I think you can tell that in your office environment like people that come into the office always comment on it that it doesn't seem like what they perceive to be like a fashion office it seems like a really nice bunch of people that actually get on really care help each other out I actually joined in COVID and I said to the team the other day, I've actually never been to a Rixo work drinks and I've heard high things of uh, after work work drinks. So I'm excited. (laughs) A few slogans and a few vodka shots. (laughs) (laughs) A few vodka shots, a few slogans. How does it feel if you step back and think, you know, we are two women running a company. You're referred to as female pioneers. People say you're trailblazers in business. Do you ever find the moments to sit back and champion yourselves for the female pioneers that you've become? It's a little bit like, I think... That's even, you know, we've kind of talked about it before, but you've almost got to like pinch yourself because you kind of sometimes don't get time to like step back and think about it like that. And we're obviously probably looking so much forward, don't really get to reflect, but it's probably like moments like this when you actually sit and think about it. Like it's, it's amazing that we've had the like opportunity created to like actually lead on a team. And I think as well to be able to, obviously it comes to that with having no investment and Rixo literally being privately owned by Ola and I like at the end of every month you've got to pay all the salaries for everyone there's like 40 to 50 people that are on the salary roll now and it's like we're responsible for that so it is a little bit daunting and sometimes you think am I good enough to be doing this job or how have we got to this so you do pinch me at, at moments but I think it's something that we're really proud of obviously we adore fashion we're so passionate about the product like get us in a vintage fair and we're literally like the happiest people in the world but I think also something we are really proud of is we're actually building a business um that is profitable and we're really proud of that I think it's very clear for people that know Rixo to see how passionate you both are about the product and proud of building the business is there anyone that's ever told you to run your business differently yes (laughs) we're quite stubborn though I'd I'd say we're quite stubborn and quite set in our ways in regards to what we think Rixo should be but we have been told definitely yeah I think there's like there's probably so many ways you can run businesses so actually when people give you advice it's about taking what works for for you and I think we're quite personable people so like what works for us as people might not work for someone else who's like more used to like a corporate environment for anyone that's sat at home with their best friend listening to this saying shall we do it shall we not what would you what would your advice be for two people about to start a business together I think first of all just Obviously, if you think you've got a great idea and you've got all your ducks in a row, just go for it because there's never going to be a perfect time to do it. So the more you talk about it, you can get and more you analyse it, you'll probably get more anxious, more nervous and start weighing up all the risks. I think if you really do think you've got a good idea and you've got a business partner or you're just setting something up on your own, I think there's no time like the present. So I just urge anyone to just just go for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I would completely agree with that. I think there's some things that like are an absolute given that you've got to understand, like your product, where you're, where it's missing in the market, like what you think you're bringing differently. Um, like those things like just are a necessity for it to be successful. But I think like if you're sitting with your friend and like, should you start it? Like, don't worry about the things that haven't happened yet. Things that haven't happened, just let them go. You'll cross that bridge when it comes. And I think that's how we approached a lot of problems. We were like, oh, well, where are we going to put the stock? We're like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out when we get to it. And I think you cross the bridge when it comes and you'll figure out you'll f- where there's a will, there's a way. Next up, we'll be speaking to Margaret and Emma from Space NK. Having worked at some of the most prestigious and globally renowned beauty brands, including L'Oreal Paris and Maybelline, prior to joining Space NK in 2016, Emma has a vast amount of experience within the beauty industry. 
As Chief Marketing Officer, she oversees the creative, content, marketing, visual merchandising, PR and social teams, leading the creation and implementation of multi-channel brand and product marketing strategies. Margaret is responsible for creating Space and K's beauty offering. Over the past four and a half years, she has been instrumental in bringing in-demand beauty brands on board, including Charlotte Tilbury and Drunk Elephant. Hi, Emma and Margaret. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to ask you some questions and pick your brains. Um, so first question to kick it off, I'd say, is um, what's it like to be the driving force behind your own team and building that team? We're both looking at each yeah. other. Who's going to go first? Emma, you go first. Yeah, of course. I think for me, sort of being the driving force behind my team is, um, yeah, such a, a sort of a rewarding, um, amazing experience. Sort of no two days are the same. I think I learn from my team and I hope they learn from me as much. Um, it's sort of that two-way dialogue. Um, I think for me, it's sort of understanding what sort of drives and motivates my team and then how I can sort of nurture and mentor them and guide them along the way and on their journey into achieving what they want to achieve. But also, I think really for me, it's um, sort of watching them grow and develop as our business grows and develop and taking them on that journey as we evolve our business, which has been sort of transformational over the past year. I'm sure you'd agree, Margaret. Yes, definitely. It has been a time of change, that's for sure. I I sort of see myself as, I don't know, I'm the recruiter and that's about it. Like if I recruit people that are, you know, really motivated and positive and cheerful, they're the driving force of the whole business. And so it's really about just being that, I don't know, beacon and just sort of helping guide them along the way. But when you find the right people, they don't need that. It's so true not to micromanage and just if you get the right people from I think the very start then you know that they're going to come in especially for Rixo as well because we're such a like a startup mentality and we have to be agile and stuff so to have girls that are amazing in the team that can just be like do you know what I've had a bit of a direction and they just go with it and run with it it's it's really nice to see. I think actually that's something that we've evolved quite a lot in our brand that when we first started we probably had people that weren't so specialist in certain areas and as that we've had like a bit more resource to put into the business and we've had the kind of opportunities to grow the team you can almost get people a little bit more specialist in certain areas and that's actually it's so nice to kind of feel like oh I can they can kind of like come with ideas to me and actually bring more to the table than me kind of micromanaging that area that you know we're not really jack of all trades anymore we're kind of getting a little bit more support in different areas so it's totally. been, and it's like been learning so from other people around you. So, I mean, I think that's the best part is bringing everyone's skills to the table and everyone gets to share and the sum is, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? <laughs> I feel like females can be quite good at that because there's not that many egos. <laughs> yeah. There, you know, there's like definitely, I think in our team, everyone does love everyone else pitching. And even if it's like, not necessarily their, their full day job and they're more specialists that you'll find crossover a lot of the time and like people giving their like ideas and opinions and it does get listened to so it's the camaraderie and the support yeah. and sort of facilitating sort of that environment where the team feel that they can share ideas yeah. and they want to sort of openly communicate with you and then I think your role as a leader is then facilitating that opportunity for them to then have the autonomy and the responsibility of then seeing that through and trusting them to deliver that and that for me is where I certainly as a leader see the most reward when you see the individuals within your team and they're 
you know, what they love doing and their ideas sort of shining through and developing. So Emma and Margaret, you're obviously both now a stage in your career where you're leaders, but it'd be really interesting, and I think for our listeners as well, to know um, how you got to that stage and how you worked up through your careers. I mean, for me, it was interesting. I started in management consulting, so a completely different walk of life from beauty, but I've always been sort of a beauty junkie. Yeah. And I had an opportunity yeah. come up. Career change. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I had an opportunity come up um, to move into beauty, and I just sort of couldn't say no to it. I just had to jump from the consulting super corporate, like wore a suit every day world to beauty, fun products all day, every day. And I mean, needless to say, I've never looked back. (laughs) But yeah, I would say becoming a leader and learning how to manage people was probably the biggest jump in my career. Uh, So the sort of biggest learning curve, the hardest uh, just switch I had to do. I think when you're no longer doing the work and you're really learning how to commandeer a team and get them to do the work, that was definitely... I think the hardest part of my career and the hardest transition, but certainly the most rewarding. Yeah, I think my career is slightly different. I always loved magazines and I grew up in the north of Scotland. So going to the village shop to get a magazine was quite a thing for me. Highlight. Highlight. <laughs> I used to pour over the fashion pages. So I used to do that as well. I'm from like in the middle of absolutely nowhere in Ireland. Yeah. I used to do the exact same thing. It's like the big lights of London, like the magazine from London. <laughs> Absolutely. It was that whole thing, that sort of the lure. So when um, when I was at university, an opportunity came up and it was a grad scheme. So I flew down to London, had, didn't think I had any chance whatsoever of getting through the different various rounds, but I did and I got onto the grad scheme. Um, so never doubt yourself, like just put yourself out there and go for it because you don't know, maybe you... Will you will yeah you will fit the mold. But when I got in there, I did have I did feel a little bit out of my depth to start with because sort of everyone else was sort of so polished together, really understood fashion, and I hadn't quite honed my style. We've got quite similar stories because when I first came over to London, and I remember the first year at uni, and it was like Henry, you probably felt the same. It was like everyone was so like I just came from like literally a little country town in Ireland. Everyone was like head to toe in designer and like so polished and I was just thinking my sister was in university in Belfast the same time um when I was explaining to her how it was in Europe she just couldn't get her head around it yeah um and you do feel like that like imposter syndrome where like you don't feel like you belong and that was me but what it did do it opened up my eyes into the world of publishing and marketing and PR and I used to see sort of all the fashion PRs coming into the building with their sort of showing their new season collections and although I was sort of in the grad team not in the editorial team which was where you really wanted to be (laughs) they were coming in with all their press how do I do that what is that what are they doing and so then it was PR um, and that for me I so I did a year at Vogue and then desperately tried to get into PR um, and beauty and fashion PR are quite traditionally have been quite difficult to get into because mm. I think a lot of so many people that want to young women like sort of the sort of the glamour it feels so glamorous and it looks so as aspirational. we sit fashion covers yeah <laughs> and I was going to say you've got your new season we've got all right now we're like treasure trove in here <laughs> we're going to start asking you to like start all the <laughs> so I couldn't get into PR, but I kept trying and I kept knocking on the doors. And so I came out and went to work for um, an agency that did 
um, sort of brands like Tic Tacs and like <laughs> Windows and you name it. It was all kinds of like the whole jing bang. So it wasn't glamorous at all. And gradually through there, I worked into beauty and got more and more experience um, in beauty. So I, I think for me, it's always about live life on the edge, keep trying, like don't take no for an answer. And take risks. And take risks, absolutely. There's Definitely. quite a lot of people like outside of like fashion or like contacts and stuff that probably think like they don't have a chance. And I think it's nice to hear that story because I think there's probably a lot of people that aren't in London that would love to think like, oh, how could I get in or would I fit in? And I think actually sometimes being a bit more individual actually helps because you stand out and I suppose even Hen, we probably think about it as well. Like when we meet someone, like I think we like when someone's quite different or they're just themselves. So I, I think, think that's a nice just thing. being yourself whenever we're yeah. kind of looking at people, whether it's within the team or just externally. It's so nice when you see like a, a true person kind of shine through and they're staying true to themselves. And it's just really nice to see that they've not kind of altered the alter themselves to kind of fit into what they think is the right kind of the right mold um it's really nice to have like individuals and that's what makes a team like individuals that have different opinions um so i think you land on your feet better as well with the right team if you're yourself i think if you're mm. if you get a job and you're not yourself maybe you're actually getting the wrong team yeah. so for sure authenticity is everything especially yeah. the more you do sort of leadership roles just being able to be yourself being able to for me it's like say how i feel something is working if something isn't working i can't hide it as emma knows i know <laughs> it's good. Yeah. No, it's good. and i think that's how you form such sort of solid friendships and relationships and like that true understanding of one another because i i know by looking at margaret's face now and vice versa or her body language how she's feeling without her actually having to say anything so Emma's seen me cry heaps (laughs) I think you do you get through that like I remember when Ola and I we got into our first office and we normally did all our PR ourselves met all the contacts and we were fortunate enough I think it was like three and a half years in or something we could hire a press manager internally and she must have seen us cry and she went through everything with us and I think you just have to be yourself and it's then you form real relationships within your team which I think is kind of something that you can't really mm. replace and it's showing that vulnerability I think as well because you know you do have meetings and you do pitch ideas and they don't go to plan and or they're not what you think is a great idea is not perceived as a great idea and I think you kind of you have to sort of roll with the punches and not take it personally and sort of dust yourself off pick yourself back up keep trying look for another angle and it's like you know work a way around it build a bridge over or build a you know it's always looking for what is definitely yeah absolutely yeah that moves on nicely to like how do you champion other women within your business Uh, have you got any like top three tips on how you kind of how you empower your team yeah so I think for me certainly the most important thing is listening I think if I listening to how they're feeling what they're wanting, where they're planning to, what's important to them. And then looking at how I can then facilitate those sort of opportunity or that platform. It's really hard because we're always stretched for time, but actually carving out time for coaching, listening, giving feedback, working through problems. That is how people develop and grow. And then that gives them confidence to go on and do, you know, the things they need to do, their big projects. So I definitely think that how you spend your time and how you invest your time back into your people, for me at least, has been sort of the main way that I empower my team. Yeah, that's that's very true. Mm, and I think also sort of trust and respect. Definitely, I think yeah. is really key. Like respecting each other's opinions, 
respecting each other's sort of individuality, what we bring to the table within our sort of the many facets within the team. Um, but really sort of, yeah, trust is key. Uh, for me, it's like my team knowing that I'm there to support them and sort of facilitate that and that they can talk to me about, you know, to your point, Margaret, about how they're feeling um, and sort of dedicating that quality time. Yeah, I think so. It's not so separated from like you're taking the individual as a person and like kind of feeling like they can come to you about anything. I think that's really nice. I think like I'd say even probably in a bit like that as well. Like we're not, I wouldn't say it's like. It's not one rule. It's not a closed door policy. I think like anyone could come up and like chat to us whenever and. I just feel like we have that atmosphere in the team. The other thing is taking time to celebrate. Like, I feel like that is one of the most... <laughs> we probably never do. We're awful at it. I'm but American, like, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> smiley, cheerful. Yeah. We actually talked about the office parties. <laughs> I'm a little bit scared for after COVID. I think we're oh, all crazy. Yeah. Orla <laughs> was like, on the email, she was like, right, 21st of April, we're planning a big outdoor party. It's like, sounds great. But yeah, taking time to just shout someone out or like celebrate someone's achievement, whether it's within your team or with the whole business, I just making sure that you take time to actually look back and say like, look at all we've done. That yeah, is also really, really important. Definitely. We have a little kudos um, channel on our Slack. Oh, cool. It's a call out when someone does something really good from like a certain team. And do you know what's really nice is to see other team members calling other team members out. So it's it doesn't have to be like leadership calling someone yeah. else. It's so nice to have peers call other people out because they might be doing things that as le- the leadership team or the management team, you don't actually know they're doing in their day to day. So I think that's when you see real success within your team, when people are championing other people and helping each other out, like beyond their, their own kind of yeah. um, department. So I think that's kind of something Ola and I love to see. Yeah, I have to say it's that for me is so rewarding when you see sort of the relationships within the team and how they develop and the, the sort of the friendships within the team and how they're sort of working together is mm. it's really nice to see that camaraderie come through when you see women sort of supporting women, which is what we should be doing. It's like we should be building each other up and helping each other out. Mm. Yeah. And then obviously kind of the um the role of being a leader it's not it's not an easy task like it is difficult I know Margaret you said it's probably one of the hardest things that you found like actually managing people and I think Ola and I are probably going through a similar experience like we started Rixo five and a half years six nearly six years ago and I think we when we first started we never thought we'd become leaders and managing people and the team's obviously got so much bigger so how have you um like how many leaders are there at the moment in Space NK and how do you all work together and Five or six of us on the exact team, is that right? Yeah. And it's like four women, two men, yeah, roughly? Yeah. I could have those numbers wrong, so yeah, don't quote me on that. <laughs> six, we'll settle with. And then how do you overcome challenges of being a female leader? Well, it was, it was funny, I was talking to my husband about this last night, because I was like, I have this sort of view that put my high heels on, feel together, feel polished, walk into the room, if I feel... Like I'm owning the room, then I'm going to be in control of sort of my presentation and my delivery. And he sort of started laughing. And I was like, that's such a male view to be laughing at me, feeling that I need to feel... Feel good about yourself. Feel good about myself to be sort of confident in the delivery and actually like stand stand my ground. And it's he's like, but you shouldn't have to feel like that. You shouldn't feel like you have to feel like together. You just go in and be yourself. And I'm like, well, that is part of being me too sort of naturally you want to feel like you're sort of in control and Margaret and I often joke about some of the big meetings what outfit are you wearing <laughs> 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 Henrietta comes in 
because sometimes they're like, oh, she means business. Yeah. 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 Power dresses. Something's yeah. happening. She's got the heels on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we do have those moments quite often where we have a little like, right, okay, let's do this. Yeah, you know, I, I just think it's an, it's an industry that really does empower women quite naturally. So it's really fun to be a female leader in the beauty industry. It's not quite as trying or as difficult as I found in the corporate world where it was like 80% male and you're fighting your way through like elbows out, you know, having to tread the line between trying to be masculine, but not trying to be mean. And, you know, I think it's, it's nice just, as well. Like when you're in an industry that you actually understand, like it's half the battle when you're like talking about something that you're actually passionate about as well. I mean, obviously like with every job, it's like you've got to put yourself in the mind of the customer, but it's yeah. really helpful when you are the customer as well. And I think that's what we find at Rixa too. It's like when you really believe in the product of what you're doing, you can really, really understand it and that you have the empathy as well for like what it is that's a bit special about certain things. Yeah, and I think it comes back to that thing sort of working with purpose. Mm. I mean, I invest so much time in my job, work, that you want to love what you do too. And I think that is just sort of so important is to find sort of, I call it sort of what that thing inside you that sort of fuels you and gives you that fire and then goes off. Yeah, you have pride then in your work and what you're doing. And then you're like, you have a purpose. Why are you getting up every morning or what's your Monday to Friday look like? Or if it's the weekends, I think then that is the most important thing, I think. And I think you're so lucky in life if you do get to find that niche where you can actually Mm. then make it a career. And I think over time, as your experience develops in your role, you're sort of you start understanding where your strengths are and who you are as an individual. So with that, I call it sort of when I'm in meetings, I sort of, and if I'm feeling like a little bit nervous or a bit apprehensive, or I'm not quite sure I'm going to land my point, it's like you sort of channel that inner, what I call my superhero power. I'm like, I know I can do do this. (laughs) I know that I'm here for a reason. Just kind of, and it's that sometimes, it's like channeling in on that superhero sort of within (laughs) you that we all have within us. It's just finding that and then truly being like, no, I'm going to own the room here. It's like, I might be outnumbered. It might just be Margaret and I, but (laughs) we know what we're doing. It's like... (laughs) I think it's nice when you have that, especially like as two leaders together, you can come together. Like even Ola and I, whenever we know, like this meetings we come out of and we're like, we literally just look at each other and we're like, thank God we have each other. We're like, Mm. you just feel as if you've got a little teammate next to you and you've got that kind of like... I take my hat off to anyone that fans their own business and they're on their own or even as like a leadership just on their own or they feel kind of solo going through it because we're so lucky that we have each other. Like there's so many, even just like weekly occasions, we're like, oh, thank God, like (laughs) you're in that too. And like when you're not sure, because there's sometimes as a leader, you're thinking, is that the right decision or not? Mm. And it can really steer you in one direction or the other. So it's nice to kind of have either a board or leaders that you can go to as well. And And you don't, you know, you don't always get feedback. So, you know, sometimes there's that expectation, well, that's your job and you should be doing that. But then was that good or was that not good? Did I read that? How did I? And then again, it's that internal voice because you're kind of there leading your team. You're kind of like leading your department and your view on what's the right thing to do. So quite often I'll shoot Margaret sort of a knowing glance and we're like, yeah, keep going, keep going. It's nice to have a partner in crime or like cheerleader on the side when, you know, one of us is presenting at a board meeting or something and the other one's there like, it's okay (laughs) so yeah it is it makes such a big difference it does and I think you're lucky when you find that 
person you can have that relationship with because it doesn't always run true in every organization I think we're fortunate probably in the same way that you two that you have each other and we have that relationship I think that's really true because you obviously can get people where I think if you know in your head that if you surround yourself with successful people that are brilliant at that job it's only going to bring you up and I think that whole like I know when we even first went to university, people would ask, or like your parents or your aunties would be like, oh, what's it like in fashion? Is it everyone like really bitchy or catty or something? And it's actually like, do you know what? Like, well, anyway, the experiences that Ola and I have had, it's not like that. And I think if you just stay true to yourself, surround yourself with people that are similar to you, it's not where it becomes competitive or there's egos. It's just very much a case of where you have an amazing team where people are successful. It kind of only brings you up and the whole collective up. Absolutely. And I think through, throughout all of my career, I've ended up crossing paths back with people that I've worked with when I've been sort of a junior, a manager, a direct, whatever I've been. And sort of looking after those relationships and treating people with respect, because you never know where the, the people that you've worked with previously are going to pop up again. And then all of a sudden, they're sort of running a brand or a company. Um, I mean, it's very good advice for people in general. And it's advice I was given is like, you never know. So treat everyone with respect, you know, always, always be building win win relationships, positive relationships, whether it's internally, whether it's externally, because you never know where someone's going to pop up. You again. do always get a surprise. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. she's not buying here, or she's buying here. Yeah, exactly. It's nice. It's kind of like, oh, great, hi. Like, I do love like a treat and someone where they treat everyone the same. Yeah, no hierarchy. Yeah, just like, treat like you're the same matter. with one person as the other. It doesn't matter who that person is. Yeah. Um, I do think that's like a really nice quality in someone. Yeah, for sure. It's. Re- I think that's really important to the point we were talking about about empowering people. It's like if you're doesn't matter what level of the organization you are, you want people that are going to step outside their comfort zone, push the envelope, come up with ideas. And if they come up with a great idea, it's like, great, credit where credit's due. Listen, go for your life. Like, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Run with it. Yeah, yeah. Helping me. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any brand that's came on board that you've like, that's, I never, like you've kind of like, not learn something about the industry or the beauty industry someone that's kind of like changed your opinion on something or been surprised you've learned something from them I mean I feel like I've learned tons from our founders I just see them as such there's so many of them that are creative and strategic and great leaders I mean, also internally on the business side, there's amazing women in the beauty industry. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I can think of a couple people that I just, they're such incredible positive leaders that bring all of the attributes of a great leader to the table. And, you know, they're in the beauty industry. And sometimes I think beauty industry could be looked at as superficial or not that valuable. And um, I just see so many amazing women in this industry. I'm like, no, it really is. The place that a place that empowers women and gives people a platform to have a voice. Yeah, I agree. I think so. This time last year, we did a campaign called Female Trailblazers, where we were really sort of bringing to the fore sort of all brands and sort of the many facets of sort of the women who run these sort of massive companies. And we did the photo shoot in LA and there was, you know, doctor brands, sort of celebrity founded brands. And each... I remember each woman that came, I was a bit nervous and apprehensive about the day and how it was all going to work. Because we had, you know, five amazing female entrepreneurs, you know, in a room. What were the dynamics going to be like? Because it can get tense on a shoot day trying to get the picture and get everyone working together. And I was so like 
impressed by the camaraderie. You know, we had Dr. Barbara Sturm there. She was there with her daughter. Miranda Kerr had just had a baby. She looks has the core organics burn. She was breastfeeding and then coming onto the shoot. And I saw these like many facets of these like truly inspirational women who were running businesses, had children, didn't have children, whatever their role was in life or whatever route they had chosen. I just looked at them all and I'm like, it's such a great time to be a woman. And I was so kind of like, and wow, here we are in this room sort of. Yeah, it was. It was a real sort of pinch me moment because there was just so many different women who had taken a completely different path to get get where they are and here I was sort of sitting there with my team sort of facilitating the shoot going this is just such a great moment and I'm so grateful to be working at a brand like Space NK where we can sort of have the autonomy and sort of we create the atmosphere to be able to give these brands the platform and then bring it and share those stories and those inspirations with other women and it was a it was a real moment for me. Well, Margaret and Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. We've loved the conversation. It's been great. So thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so great to see you guys. In the fashion yeah. cupboard. Full <laughs> <laughs> circle. Fresh yeah. and here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to Aula and I. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear more. This podcast is produced by Ampix.uk and music produced by LarkRiseMusic.com. Music.com.